for the word. All right, the title of our message this morning is Man on the Run. Man on the Run. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to open up to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 15. And we're going to, we're going to teach today from the, yep, offering buckets. Thank you, Benji. Offering buckets. Short attention span. You know, I say, I, I say that in the beginning about the offering, and I think I'll go through some announcements so everybody can get ready, but by the time I get to the end of the announcements, I always forget. It's kind of like the thing I told you a couple weeks ago about the tripometer, where I always set the tripometer in the car to see how far it is and how long it takes me to get like from Waterloo to different places, but I, I always forget by the time I get there to check it, so it's like a day later before I look, so I don't ever really know exactly what those numbers are. All right. Luke chapter 15, starting out in verse 11, the parable of the lost son. We all know the parable of the prodigal son, right? So starting out in verse 11, then he said, A certain man who had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Let me pray one more time before we get started. Father, I just ask you right now in Jesus' name, anoint me to preach your word. Anoint me to preach this gospel. Let truth be cast forth over the people today. And let it take root in, in their heart, God. And just good soil, prepare the soil of their hearts right now. That they would receive exactly what you want them to receive. They would hear what you want them to hear. And they would see what you want them to see. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. How many people, just be honest, out of show of hands, have ever ran away from home before? How many? Come on, raise your hand. If you've ran away, if you've tried that, if you just, even if you were gone for like a couple hours, come on. Carrie, thank you for being honest back there. All right. Yeah, a couple people. How many people are planning on running away from home here soon? Huh? Yeah. Oh. Mm. Backfire. Hmm. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to be on lockdown for a couple weeks. <laughs> oh, so this is a good, this is a good service for launch to not be here. The launch kids. Look, I, I did a few things. I mean, I, I, I ran away. I, I snuck out, you know, I did some of that kind of stuff. And there was this one time where like I was now, I was like 18, 17, 18 years old. And, uh, I, I thought I had like the system mastered, right? Like I would say, all right, good night, mom and dad. I go to my room and I'd shut my door and then uh, I would open my window and they had one of those like crank windows, you know, where you open it up and I had to pop the screen out. But I was on the first level, it was a ranch. So I just hopped out and I kind of reached in and I cranked the window back shut so that it was just barely shut so that if they did look in there, then they couldn't really tell that the window was open. But I also had to kind of stuff a towel underneath the door because the breeze would make the door rock back and forth and make a lot of noise and it would eventually wake my mom up and she'd have to come down so I kind of figured that out and then I always like padded up underneath my covers with pillows and stuff so that it looked like somebody was underneath there you know and then I had my radio it was like the perfect system yeah perfect system um and so one time I went out and <laughs> I came back and it was really late it was probably close to four or five in the morning. I was coming back and I'm just, I'm getting ready to kind of hop in my window. Everything's great. I, I always had the buddy drop me off up the street, you know, so I walked the rest of the way. Only this time I get down and I'm like, oh, 
the window shut, <laughs> not good, <laughs> not good. And so the window was shut and it was locked. And I looked in, the door was open, my radio was off. This is not setting up for a good situation. So I kind of walk back around the house. The kitchen light is on, not good. And so open the back door to the deck. It's unlocked. It wasn't unlocked whenever I left. And I walked in and my dad's sitting there in the kitchen and the light on, he was not going to sleep. And he said, go to bed, we will talk in the morning. <laughs> I don't think I slept that night. And needless to say, the next morning was not a pretty good experience. But listen, we've all, we've all if we haven't ran away or, or left, we've thought about it at times, right? There's times where you just kind of want to escape whatever it is that you're going through or wherever it is that you're at. And, and really the reason why people would leave or run away is because somehow they're convinced that running to something else or going to another place and out of whatever it is that they're dealing with or going through now, that somehow that's going to be better for them. It's going to be a better situation. It's going to alleviate some of the pain or the difficulty, like it's just going to go away, right? And so people think that, but the reality is, is that in many cases, it actually gets worse when we run away from something. And as we see here in the, in the story of the prodigal son, the son is convinced that somehow him leaving the place of, of his family, of his father, of his home, somehow him going somewhere else is going to bring him more happiness, more joy, more satisfaction, that he's somehow venturing out into a better place and into a better life than what he already has with his father, with the father. Now, in this story, you've got to understand as we go through this, what the parable is demonstrating. The father is obviously our father, God. And the prodigal son is the son who's running away from God, who's leaving him, who's lost or is confused or is somehow pursuing a life away from God's will for what he has, right? So somehow the son thinks if he goes out and tries to live away from his father's covering, that he's going to live in a better place or he's going to have a better sense of joy and happiness and fulfillment. And of course, we know that that's simply not true. Now, a couple of things I think are interesting is one, the father doesn't force him to stay, right? I mean, the son comes and says, hey, give me what I got. Give me my inheritance and I'm going to go and I'm going to leave. Now, the father in this situation, he could force him to stay. He could not allow him to leave, but he doesn't. He allows him to go, even knowing that what he's setting out for is probably only most certainly going to be heartache, difficulty, and ultimately maybe even destruction. But the father lets him go. And see, God is a lot like this with us. We can walk with God or, or we can maybe not know God and we can choose to try to go a different path. But God, he's not a forceful God. Now, he's sovereign and all-powerful, so if he wanted to, he could make us stay. But he doesn't. Because he allows us to choose for him or choose against him. It's one of the greatest things and gifts that we've been given, right? But he allows us, if we are going to walk away willingly from the plans and the purposes that he has for us and step into a life that we want, that we think is better, that we think is good, God, even though he knows what is ahead is not well for our soul, he will allow us to go through that process that he is a he's a the Holy Spirit is a gentleman he won't force himself upon us and he won't force us to love him he asks for our love and in return we get all of the blessings and all the favor and all the promises that come along with living the life for him but somehow the son he wants to go 
to the furthest distant land that he can go to. He doesn't just go away. It says he took the stuff and he went as far as he could. So he's somehow got this in his mind. Like he really wants to get away from what he's been around and what he's brought up in. Or just, you know, he thinks somehow that if I get as far as I can away from this, then I'm going to be able to find what I'm looking for. I'm really going to get out there and I'm going to get the life that I know that I want. And he begins... In his response, once he has that freedom to get out there, once he gets in that place away from the father that he's wanting to go, what ultimately happens right away is he begins to live prodigally. It's interesting because the word prodigally basically means wasteful. It means to, he's living wastefully. Now, for most of us, we think about the, the very glaring kinds of things, maybe immorality or adultery or, you know, all sorts of uh, drunkenness or different kinds of sin, right? That's maybe the picture I've always had in my head of what this guy was doing. He's, he's just uh, every night, every day, just up all the time, just, just partying it up, right? Not caring about anything, being with women, all these different things. But there's a lot of other things that when we talk about what prodigal means to, to live wastefully, it's a much broader definition than we probably think about at times. We think about somebody that's really, really far out there in sin living prodigally. But the, the fact of the matter is to live wastefully is to, is to live outside of that blessing, of that purpose, and of the plan that God has for us in such a way that our time and our efforts and our activities are being spent on meaningless, unfruitful things that don't really align with what God's purpose in our life is. So if that's really the case, then this idea of living wastefully and living prodigally and kind of running off or getting away from God, all of a sudden it has a lot more meaning to even a person that we don't necessarily see as being just way out there lost in sin, possibly even like every one of us, right? And so that's where this... This prodigal son gets, and he's living wastefully. And, and let me also say this, that there's a lot of things that we can do that are, that are good, that are healthy for us in moderation, that are fun, that bring us joy. But when done in excess, they actually start to become wasteful after that. Now, you could say something like adultery, and no matter what, every time, it's wrong, right? That's sin. That's wasteful. That's, we're, we're prodigal there. But you take something simple that is meant to be maybe a fun uh, time or something in moderation, right? I'm not going to – you can get my definition there. But then if you go in excess of that, and then it actually starts to become wasteful, and it starts to become – basically what the Bible is saying is prodigal. And, and that's what sometimes people do is that they get to a point where they think living a certain way or, or having a certain lifestyle or certain activities are going to bring them pleasure, are going to bring them happiness and fulfillment. And so by going towards those things, they're essentially kind of walking away or turning away, running away from what God is saying is right, what God has for them. And that's exactly what the son is doing here. Now, in verse 14, let's read verses 14 through 16 now. He says, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So he gets out there. He starts to live this way for a while. 
And mind you, there is some initial temporal satisfaction that comes. He is experiencing some pleasure. Now, it's just surface pleasure. It's physical. The flesh is being pleasured. Maybe even emotionally he's getting pleasure from. But spiritually, he's not getting pleasure from what's going on, right? But he is experiencing some temporal pleasure. And that's the trick. That's the deception that the enemy is able to lure us with. Is that somehow initially we think, oh, we made the right choice. Oh, this is good. Oh, yeah, this is, this is exciting. This is fun. This must be right. When really, if we be honest with ourselves, it's only a surface thing. It's not really satisfying our inner man. But what ultimately happens here with the son, just like happens with any time we do this, when we, we run away from what God is really wanting for us and we get into something that isn't right, is that it's only a, ma a matter of time before the satisfaction and the pleasure from that thing starts to fade and all kinds of problems and all kinds of difficulties start to arise it says there that no one gave him anything isn't that interesting he probably treated all kinds of people to some great times and to a lot of physical enjoyment and lustful pleasures with that money and with that inheritance that he took but all of a sudden now that he's in a place where he has nothing to offer all of those people that were involved in those same kinds of things that prodigal living all of a sudden, they have nothing to be able to give him. They have nothing to offer, nothing to satisfy or sustain him. And that tells us that in that temporal living, in that place of things where it's only a matter of time before it fades, those things never, ever, ever will be able to sustain us. There's only one source of sustenance long term, and that is with God. He made us that way. The Bible says that he put eternity in our hearts, that there's something in a man, there's a God-sized hole in each and every man that only God can fill. And if we try to take anything of the world and put it in there, it just doesn't quite fit the right place. But it might be a little bit of time because of the deception of the enemy before we finally start to realize that. And no one gave him anything, right? All of a sudden, the fog of the fantasy life that he thought he was enjoying begins to fade and reality starts to set in. And what happens after this? This is amazing, right? Famine hits, crisis comes, and he gets desperate now. He gets desperate. And he, it says that he joined himself to someone of that land. Now, this is incredibly powerful. You, you got to get this. That when we start to, the, the, the temporal satisfaction starts to fade. This is kind of the process, right? Think about situations you maybe went through or people that you know are walking through this now. The process goes like this. The temporal satisfaction eventually starts to fade. I don't know, days, weeks, months, whatever it may be. And now reality's setting in. The fog is lifting. He's getting desperate. He can't satisfy himself. Nothing else around here is able to satisfy him. And so he joins himself. To a foreigner of this land. He tries to join himself to someone hoping that he's going to find the help, the aid that he's looking for. And this someone, it can be anything that we're out there involved in. It can be a bad relationship, an ungodly relationship that we just settle for because we think, I've just got to have something. You know, I'm just going to cling to this because I'm going to feel a little safer. I'm going to feel a little more secure in this thing. Or it could be the addiction, it could be the drugs, it could be the alcohol. And what we do is instead of, instead of turning away, 
Instead of realizing that, man, th I've got to sever this thing now, that we, people actually can turn and join themselves to that thing. And all of a sudden, that creates this uh, stronghold now in their life that didn't exist before. Does that make sense? And so now, now they're joined to the thing. It has a hold of them. And it says that he joined himself to the foreigner of that land. And now he's relying on this person. Mind you, he's probably willing, if he's relying on that, to do just about anything he has to do. Compromise his conviction, his morals, his beliefs, anything in order to stay in that place of safety with that person that he's joined himself to. And that's where that ultimate desperation starts to happen. We, people get out there, they join themselves to a thing or to that, and they just get so desperate that they'll do anything, that they'll manipulate any circumstance to just stay joined to that, to stay hooked to that, because they think somehow that's the only thing that they can hang to to keep them going through this. And, and that's why you see drug addicts that somehow it seems to, the, to some of us like so crazy but they're like selling things or leaving their kids or doing all kinds of stuff. You think, how in the world could you ever do that? Well, they're, they're joining, they've joined themselves to that thing. Somehow they think that's the thing they've got to hang on to in order to take them through this place that now has become so scary and so difficult. But listen, important point that they're desperate though. They know they're just, they're just clinging to the wrong thing. And we've got to recognize that, right? We've got the right answer. It takes them to make the decision. But when they're doing those things, they're scared. They're, they're messed up. And they don't know. They realize they made probably a wrong choice. But now they don't know what else to do except to hang on. But see, the, in the story here with the prodigal son, if we continue reading on in verse 17, I love this verse. But when he came to himself, he said... How many of my father's hired servants have, bre have bread enough to, uh, and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He comes to himself. Conviction sets in. His heart is now convicted by a revelation of a truth. Wait a minute. Even in the lowest state, my life is better and more fulfilled, more happy, and full of more joy if I'm just in the house of my Father. If I can just get back to Him in whatever state I possibly can, Screwed up, messed up, carrying baggage. If I can just get back there, I don't even need to be, I just, I just want to get to him. That's all I'm worried about right now. If I can just get there, then I know everything is going to be okay. He came to himself. And I love this part because when conviction hits us, when we're out in whatever place that is, wastefully, when conviction hits our heart, you know, we have, a, it's a very pivotal place. It's a crossroads place because we have to make the choice to start walking back towards the Father. And, and he did that. But that wasn't an automatic thing. He could have made a decision not to go that way. Even though conviction sets in on people, how many know they don't always choose to start walking in the right direction after that? And let me tell you, 
I'll be very real with you. That is a very dangerous place to be. When God convicts your heart about something you know, you get a revelation from him about something you know you need to be doing or get away from, and you tarry too long in that thing, or you mess around and don't start walking back towards him, even though that conviction sets in, you say, why would someone do that? There's a lot of reasons. Sometimes embarrassment. Sometimes shame. Right? Sometimes people can feel unworthy, like I'm just so messed up. How could God even really, I can't even come back to God like this. i got to fix some things first. I know I've seen that in people before. I'm not ready. You know, I need to take care of some business before I'm, I get back there. Huh? What? If you only knew, brother, you're never going to get it right you know, until you get back here. And, or, or maybe even pride. They think, well, I, I got myself into this. I got to get myself out of this. I, I'm going to fix this. You know, if it's going to be, it's up to me, and I'm going to get this done. And then I'll get my life on order. I'll start going to church again. I'll start doing those things again. There's a lot of reasons, even when conviction hits somebody, why they wouldn't start going back to the place they need to go to start walking back towards the father. But this, this son, this prodigal, he came to himself and he immediately realized, I need, to, I need to get back there. And listen, this isn't worldly sorrow. There's a difference. There's worldly sorrow and there's godly sorrow. And this isn't worldly sorrow, which means I'm, I'm, I'm sorry because I'm in a bad place. Like I need help. I need, I need money. I need food. I, I should never did this. I'd be fine. You know, that's kind of like the worldly sorrow. That's the surface stuff. The deeper inner man is the, is the godly sorrow where he says, I get it now. I'm outside of God's covering. I'm outside of his blessing. I, I don't want to be anywhere except under that. And I'm going to run. I'm going to throw myself back in this messed up state that I am no matter where I'm at. And I want to make sure of nothing else that I get back underneath that covering because I know even, as, even the, the servants of my father are, in, are, are honored and have everything that they need. That's where I need to get back to. And that's what the son does. Now, I made that point. It's not something to mess around with when conviction sets in, right? And in the book of Joel, chapter 3, verse 14, it says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And this is so important because this is that crossroads place that I'm coming to that I was speaking about. You're, it's like you're in that valley of decision. You can walk towards God and step out of the thing that you're in, or you can continue for whatever reasons I named off just a second ago and many more, choose not to follow the conviction that is coming to you, and you can go the other way, and it gets really bad. It's despair, it's destruction, and it's ultimately... In a lot of cases, people's demise, depending on the thing that they're messing around with. And we can't, when God convicts us, we have got to make that choice. We're going we're gonna to listen to that conviction and we're going to start walking back to the Father. Forget about the whole, I'm, I'm unworthy. That's one of the most beautiful things about God, is that we can't, there's not like we earn ourselves back up the ranks once we come to Him. You know, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says that he who repents, that God will restore him to righteousness, right? And the moment that we repent, God just restores us and makes us whole again, right back to the place of royalty and authority that we were before. We don't get forgiven and then have to kind of earn our way back up to where we were, kind of like how the world works. You know, you get fired from a job, you start somewhere new, you got to work your way back up. 
Listen, that's not the kingdom of God, okay? That's the world. In the kingdom of God, when we repent, godly sorrow, a genuine repentful heart like this prodigal has, he immediately forgives us and restores us back to a place of righteousness. Let me prove it to you. It says, right after he makes the decision, go with me in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. And had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this was my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to be merry. Look, the son, he barely gets the words out of his mouth. All the father does is see him coming. And he runs to meet him in the place that he first sees him at. And as soon as the son says, Father, I've sinned against you, that's true repentance. He's sorry for what's happened and what he's done. And before he can even get anything else out of his mouth, the father says, get a robe. Get sandals and get a ring. He is royalty and he is back to a place of authority. That's what the ring represents. Nothing is any different from the moment he turned and walked out of here than it is right now. He immediately restores him right back to that place. The father runs to him. You know when we turn to God, he's not a far way off. He's right there ready to meet us in our tracks when we just turn and turn 180 from whatever we've been involved in and towards him now. Just like he does with the prodigal. And the son, I, I can only imagine, he's overcome with joy. He's overcome with, now he's, he's feeling, I, I am, just like we would say, I am who I am in Christ. I am my father's son. I do belong here. This is my home. This is where I'm supposed to be. Right? And, and he gives us such a good picture of that. But then, oh, and let me say this. I love you know, the picture of, of the father running to the son. When I come home, it's like a madhouse. My kids, the, my, my girls, all five of them, even Liza now that's, you know, one, almost two, they all come running and screaming at me, like yelling. No matter what is going on. I mean, it's like, it's like everything in their world drops, you know. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm telling you, because I, 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 I have a lot of stuff that I tote around with me all the time, and I always try to carry it all in in one trip, and I, I can't get all the bags off of my shoulders before they get to me. And, I mean, it's, now it's one of those things where at least one of them wipe out on the way. <laughs> Boom, there's a scream. And then one gets there first, and the other one, wham, right behind them, and then they hit heads, and then one falls, and then another one. And, and there's usually like two, maybe three left standing on a leg. <laughs> It's awesome. I mean, it's just great, you know. <laughs> the son can barely even get the words out of his mouth. I'm sorry, father. And the father has got him. He's grabbed him. He's putting a ring on him. Enough of that. I, I see your heart. I know you're sorry, and I forgive you. My son died for that. And I forgive you right now. Not because you're worthy or you've earned it, but because he earned it for you. And you believe that and you're sorry for what you've done. Oh, hallelujah. That's so powerful, isn't it? Listen. In a way, the prodigal is, is 
a picture of all of us. Because at some point, all of us are going to have some kind of temptation. I know this because the enemy is never going to let you out of your, his sights. To pull you in a direction that's away from being in your father's house. Under the covering and the blessing of God. Tempt you to get involved in prodigal living. Wasteful living outside of the plans, purposes of God. And what it says in his word is right. It's going to happen. And we need to know. We need to understand as strong, mature Christians. That there is only one recourse. There is only one response that we can have. It's nothing that we can do. We've got to turn ourselves and throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and be sorrowful and repentful for whatever it is we've been or whatever's going on. And then we will immediately be restored to that place of royalty and righteousness. And it's like a fresh place all over again and a beautiful surrounding and atmosphere that we never want to be out from again. And that's where we need to be. We need to be so quick when we recognize that this is a valley of decision. I, this is one of those pivotal moments. I've got to, to, to heed the voice of the Holy Spirit right now in my life and make sure that I do like the prodigal did. And I turn and I start walking towards the Father in this moment. Because if I don't, the things that are out there are going to get really bad. You know, he, he joined himself to that guy. because. Eventually, you know, he, he very well could have become enslaved if that would have went on long enough. Like he would have become a slave to that guy, his servant. And we could eventually, it can get so bad out there that we can become like a slave to the enemy and his tactics and his deceit and his manipulation. And it'll take a supernatural break from God to just set us loose from all that stuff that can begin to set in if we keep walking willingly down that path. It's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And lastly, we see one other thing in this story. We see another son. We see an older son who comes out and he hears all this commotion. And he hears all this excitement and he runs to see what's happening. And, and they tell him that his brother is back and the, they're throwing a party in the fatted calf. And... You know how he responds? He's bitter. He's resentful. He's jealous. And he can't figure out why in the world the father is throwing a party for his son who just wasted his inheritance, his blessing. And the father says to the son, my son is back. It's good that we should be married. He was lost, and now he is found. You, you, you have all of my inheritance. It's all yours anyway. What, what, I don't understand. What are you concerned about? Because the son says, the older son, he says, I followed all the rules. I've done everything that I was supposed to do. I've played by the book, and somehow I'm getting shafted here. Somehow I'm, I'm missing something. And you know, if we're not careful, if we don't stay pure and right before God in our heart, did you know that it is something that any one of us could catch ourselves in, where we are not rejoicing and just celebrating the way we should be when anyone who's been lost in anything they've been lost turns and comes back to the Father. And the older son 
He never did get it. I think this is crazy. And I'm going to end with this point if the worship team was to come back up. I think this is crazy that he never got it, right? Like, he followed all the rules, but that's the problem. He was following rules. He represents, like, the Pharisees and stuff. Like, they followed all the laws. They thought somehow that put them where they needed to be. Like, that was the key to their reward. He said, I followed all the rules. But the problem was is that he never actually understood the relationship. He never really recognized the value in just being a son. He didn't get that it was all his because he was a son. He thought somehow the rules were the key. It's about a relationship. It's not about a religion. And as, as we continue to fellowship with God as we build our relationship. Did you know that I found that is the best antidote for an obedient life and for a faith-filled life? We don't put that before the other, that we relationship with God and we know who he is and who he is in us and we have an increasing desire and hunger to serve him and please him and do right by him and we recognize that the strength to do that is in him only and not in us we don't put the rules before the relationship and get it right the son missed it completely the older son he missed it completely in the prodigal he he found his way back and we ask ourselves sometimes why does it have to get this bad why does someone have to be this far off, this much heartache and dis despair? I don't know the answers to all of that. I know that there are things that don't come from God that God allows to happen. And we need to recognize that. But I don't know why things can get so bad like they did for the prodigal, for some of our loved ones. kind of had it right, who was kind of following the rules, was around it the whole time, it never got real bad for him, but he never got it, he never got it I don't ever want tribulation and challenge upon anyone, I don't wish that but I try to see God's heart and understand that if something that he would allow to happen by people's free will choice will bring them running back to him that God would make that agree. That God would let that happen. Because he knows that ultimately if they just get back to me, if they just get back in my house and out of where they are, I know their soul will be saved. I know they're going to be with me in eternity. And there ain't no more of that junk and that crap out there when we get there in eternity. It's all gone. And that's what it's really all about.